Good morning. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the Gospel of John, and particularly we are looking at the seven signs in John's Gospel. And the purpose of this short series is leading you through the seven signs is in John's Gospel concerning the identity of Jesus. Signs, we all know, signs communicates a meaning to the person reading the sign. And we encounter sign regularly in our daily lives. It would be difficult to function without them. And so sign points us to something. And the Gospel of John, John put together these seven signs out of so many miracles that Jesus performed. And he selected seven and said that these seven that he wants to put together is because it points to the identity of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 20, this is what he says to us who are the readers. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So by believing in Jesus, you will have life, you will have abundant life, you will live life here on earth rightly, correctly, interpreting the way rightly. And so that's the purpose of these seven signs that John recorded for us to look at, that is signifying who Jesus is. And the story in front of us, the sixth sign now that we are looking at, is the healing of a man born blind. It's a very popular, famous passage that we read about. John chapter 9, healing of a man born blind. And of course, we all would probably gather that Jesus not just only, or John rather put this miracle together, this sign, not just only communicating that Jesus healed us, of our physical blindness, but more importantly, our spiritual blindness. is opening our eyes to see spiritually, to see what life ought to be, that He destined it to be. And therefore, He said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. One of the seven great I am. I am the light of the world. And it was during the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the feasts, there was this great ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. There's this ceremony that Jewish, in the Jewish calendar called the Illumination of the Temple, which involves the ritual lighting of four golden fat oil fat lamps in the court of women. Huge! Four golden lamps, very big one. It is about 75 feet high, which is about six-story building high, four of these big golden lamps, and each golden lamp consists of four big cups. Now this photo really doesn't, doesn't do a, bit, a lot of justice. You can see here, from here, these four big cups here in one of the lamps. And here is as well, one, two, three, four, there are four big cups, huge one, and six-story high. And they will pour oil in it, and one of the ceremonies is to climb up there and to light it up. 
And it is to remind the people of the pillar of fire. Remember the story in Exodus? Pillar of fire that had guided Israel in their wilderness journey. And so this festival is to commemorate that. And so all night long, the light shone their brilliance. Six story high, huge four big lamp shining. So brilliant was their light that one ancient Jewish source declared that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect light. And so the people throughout the night, the, even the most dignified leaders, danced around this uh, candelabra through the night, holding blazing torches in their hands and singing psalms and pray, or praise. And it was it was against this backdrop of that ceremony that Jesus stands up and makes the stunning announcement that while you are celebrating this festival of light, I am actually the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the light of the world takes the man born blind that I'm going to uh, unpack for you from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. Because one of the signs of a Messiah, one of the validity of a Messiah that came back in Old Testament prophecy is that this Messiah will be able to heal the blind, will be able to make the blind see. Let me lead you to Luke chapter 4. Jesus was in uh, Galilee, in Nazareth specifically. He entered the uh, uh, synagogue, and in the synagogue, he was handed a scroll to read because he, from, the, from prophet Isaiah. And so he was handed to him and unrolled it, and then he reads from this passage, which is quoting Isaiah chapter 61. And this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So as you can see, one of the signs that the Messiah will come is that this particular Messiah will be able to recovery of sight of the blind. And after he read this passage, verse 20 says he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. And then the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And you just picture that in your mind, slow motion. Hand over the scroll, he sits down, Quiet, everybody stared at him, and then he said, he uttered this word. He began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The one that Isaiah talks about is here now, and he is sitting in front of you right now. Today, this scripture, scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus declare himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God, that the Old Testament prophets talk so much about. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so John chapter 9, 
John is putting this, this together or include this is to point people to Jesus as being the Son of God. And so something is going to happen here in this passage. This man born blind who can now see will receive more and more sight. Not just only his physical sight, but his spiritual sight. He will begin to see more and more. His spiritual vision will become more and more clear of who Jesus is. But we also will see that the Pharisees, darkness becomes more and more dark. We'll see who is really, really blind. So let me unpack John chapter 9 for you. I want to let, lead you to see how the progression is. How this man born blind only see Jesus as a man. And then from man, he begins to progress to see Jesus as truly the Son of God. So John chapter 9, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now this is worthy to mention. No one escaped from Jesus' eyes in the sand. Jesus cares if the, the man born blind, he went along, he saw this man. Jesus always seek out for us. He saw a man blind from birth. And then his disciples straight away asked him, Rabbi, who actually sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Who actually sinned? Is it this man, his parents? Then why is he like this? The implication of that question is quite clear, isn't it? That the righteous are somehow protected from this affliction and that sinners suffer from the penalty of their sins or their parents' sins. So there's a straight implication that, you know, that this disciple asked the question, implying that righteous people actually won't suffer. Only those who are, those who are sinners actually suffers. That's a general implication on their mind, isn't it? Despite of the fact that the whole book of Job, 42 chapters, telling us, pointing us, to the fact that God sometimes allows certain things to happen so as for His glory to magnify. So it is true, let me just balance it up by saying that it is true in Galatians chapter 6, say that do not mock God. No one should mock God. You reap what you sow. It's a natural universal principle that you reap what you sow. If you keep on sowing the seed of uh, worrying all the time, if every day, night and day you keep worrying, worrying, worrying all the time, then you will reap the, the natural result, the consequence of sleepless night. You may age, maybe you are 35, you look like 55, maybe you're more wrinkled, maybe your hair will drop off. I don't know, but naturally you sow the seed, you will reap it. It's true. It is true. But at the same time, for believers, we should take a step backwards and see that sometimes as Christians, we must know that God is sovereign. He allows, in order to grow us, to allow some things to happen so that He may use this occasion for His glory. And so in this instant, he said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus simply said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus clearly says that. The old covenant believers saw health and prosperity as a sign of God's favor. 
The old covenant tradition taught that the sins of the parents could affect an infant. And some rabbis even taught that a baby could sin in the mother's womb. And Jesus' response to their question concerning who has sinned is very clear. <clears throat> it's that neither this man nor his parents has sinned. We human beings somehow persist in wanting to know who to blame, isn't it? We always want to find a source. We discuss the matter endlessly, sometimes earnestly, but often foolishly. And Jesus answers his disciples' question in terms of the purpose of the man's blindness and not its cause that really matter. And the purpose of the man's blindness is to give an example of God's power over history and his desire that his name be glorified through this man to identify Jesus' identity. And Jesus went on to say, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am the light in the world, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. And then he said, Go. He told him, Wash in the pool of Siloam. So the, went, went, so the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. That's simple. And the question that many people try to ask is that why there is this two-stage healing? Jesus could have just said, open your eyes, see. Or walk, stand up and walk. Why did Jesus have these two steps? Word and actions. There have been a number of occasions in the Bible that had this incident. One in the Old Testament and two in Mark Gospel and one in John Gospel that there's these two stages of healing. In the story of uh, Elisha, healing of Naaman, which is the general king of uh, the general of the king of Damascus, who is cured of his leprosy, when Elisha tells him to bathe in the Jordan River for how many times? Seven times. Seven times. Can you imagine you do that? Will you do that seven times? Or, you know, like the Israelite marched around the wall of Jericho, you know? And then there's also in Mark chapter 7 about a healing of the deaf and the dumb man. Jesus also did two steps. And then in Mark chapter 8, Jesus' healing is also done in two steps of a man, another person uh, who, who was blind. There's lots of debate over why Jesus did that, but nobody knows why. There's a lot of uh, uh, reason, but all speculation, we do not actually know one. Some actually say that he did it is deliberately to break the Sabbath day. Um, I don't know about that. And then there's also studies on the pool of Siloam. Interestingly, this Siloam, uh, archaeology only discovered this in 2004, less than 20 years ago. And, and it, it was about a, a workers, uh, there was a group of workers repairing a sewage pipe in the old city of Jerusalem. And they discovered a series of ancient steps leading to a large area uh, covered in waterproof plaster. And then uh, they continued to discover, dig and all that. And they discovered, came to the conclusion that it is the pool of Siloam, which is a site lost since the destruction of Jerusalem when it was levered by the Roman army in A.D. Uh, 132 during the Second Jewish Revolt. And, 
And interestingly, it is about 225 feet long and with three sets of stairs leading down into the reservoir. And of course, the history is that it was uh, built by King Hezekiah in the Old Testament, one of the good kings of the eight good kings in the southern kingdom. King Hezekiah was one of the eight who built that. And so Jesus did that. Mark, put, go to the wash, and then he's, he was healed completely. And then his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, but he was begging, he can't work. And then he said, is it, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? So probably he didn't just wash his eyes, probably he had a bath as well, I don't know. Ended up they couldn't recognize him, you know. Some claim that he was, others said no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. No need to speculate. I am the man that was born blind. I took on, I went to the, the, the pool of Siloam, I washed my eyes and I was healed. I am the man. And so after Jesus exposed this man to the physical light, he began to lead him through a series of events that brought him face to face with who Jesus really is. And so from now, I'm going to show you four steps. How he only see Jesus as a mere man. And then ended up the conversation, end of chapter 9, that he was able to see Jesus as truly the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. They asked him, how then were your eyes open? So firstly, the first step is he only sees Jesus as a mere man. In verse 12 and 13, it says, he replied with this question, okay? The question is, how then were your eyes opened? That is, by his friends and those who saw him. And then he answered, well, the man they called Jesus. So if something, he only sees Jesus as a man. He said, the man they called Jesus made some mud, and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed, and then I could see. They said, where is this man now? They asked him, I don't know. I don't know where is he now. So he started by seeing Jesus only as a man. And in fact, after chapter 9 comes chapter 10, despite of the fact that the Pharisees and the leaders, they saw these particular miracles, but when you come to chapter 10, they, they still cannot believe that. Look at chapter 10 further down. They say, we are stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. You, a mere man, claim to be God. They see only Jesus as a mere man. And that is what the blind man saw Jesus as well, mere Man. In 1995, there was a song written by Joan Osborne. I don't know how many of you know this song called One of Us. I remember when I was in Bible college, we were doing dishes and washing and all that. Some people would harm this song, you know. And we have this discussion about this song because the song is about, Yeah, yeah, God is good. Yeah, yeah, God is great. And then they say, What if God was one of us? You know that tune? What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Yeah, yeah, God is great. 
you know. And then you talk about Jesus in heaven, no one phoned him, maybe the Pope will give him a call. Uh, they see Jesus only as a man. And so is this blind man initially only see Jesus as a man. But he progressed. He progressed. He went on down to see and to discover that Jesus is not just mere man. He is a prophet. So after all his friends interviewed him, where is this man? He said, I don't know. Then they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he said, he put mud on my eyes, and I wash it, and then I see. Three steps. Mud, wash, see. That's all. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is, cannot be from God, referring to Jesus. Why? Because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner, if he's not, he's not someone from God, then how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. Do you see this dilemma that Jesus has created in them? He can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath, because the man of God will keep the Sabbath. But he can't be a sinful man as well or demon-possessed because he was able to heal. So he's caught in this dilemma that Jesus has caused them. So what do they do? Then they turn again to the blind man. What have, you say, what have you to say about him, Jesus? It was your eyes he opened. And then the man replied, he is a prophet. Did you see from saying that he was a man, now he looked at Jesus. Wow, well, I don't know. He said, I don't know. Probably he's a prophet that he's able to uh, open my eyes. How you're going to resolve this tension, this dilemma of whether he's a man of God or not, or whether he's a sinner. But the fact of the matter is my eyes was open. I suspect that he might be a prophet. That's all. He must be a prophet of God. So he see Jesus as a man. As a prophet, many people see Jesus only as, as a good man or a good moral teacher or a prophet. Even Islam see Jesus as one of the, his, their prophets. And so if you talk to Muslim, uh, they say, yeah, Jesus is one of the prophets. But Muhammad is the final prophet. The Quran is the final revelation. And so they will read the New Testament. They will read the first five books of uh, the Torah or the New Testament, the Injil, they call it, they will read it because they know it as what they call Asmani Kitab, which is heavenly books, whereas Quran is the final revelation. Muhammad is the final prophet. Jesus was one of the prophets. And then it ensued a great, a lengthy conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, and probably this man begins a step closer. He must be someone more than the prophet. He must be a man from God, man of God. Look at verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Maybe it was a fake. Until the Pharisee decided to send for the man's parents to verify it. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? If he was born blind, please tell me, how is it that now he can see? And then the parents say, we know he's our son, that's for sure. And we know he was born blind, that's for sure. 
But how he can see now, or who actually opened his eyes, we can't tell you. We don't know. Ask him. After all, he is of age. He will speak for himself. And John tells us why they said this. Why, he, why they said to the Pharisees, you ask him yourself. You know why? Because they threatened. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So, out of fear of being put out of the synagogue, excommunicated from their group, they say, well, he passed the buck. You, know? you ask him, he's, he's a doubt already, you know. Ask him. And that was why his parents said he's of age. And then the Pharisees had no choice but went back to him and said, the second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. In some sense, like swear to God that you tell us the truth. We know this man is a sinner. This man meaning to say Jesus, okay? We know this man is still addressing Jesus as this man. We know this man is a sinner. They still do not accept because, they broke, because Jesus broke the Sabbath. They are still certain that he cannot heal because he's a sinner. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, come on, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. That's up to you in your own Jewish system as a rabbi and all. You're going to work it out. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. That's the only thing I know. And then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Oh, he is rather patient, but you can see from his tone of voice, he's losing his patience. He said, I have told you already, that you, but you are not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurl insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple, meaning this fellow, meaning Jesus. You are his disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. But if you know the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it specifically says that God is going to raise up a prophet just like Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, you can check it out. But once I evangelize the Muslim, they say, oh no, they won't talk about Muhammad, not Jesus. Uh, but there are other ways to, to of course, uh, verify that. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that is remarkable. He's, he's really blowing out his mind. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? You claim that he's a sinner and not a man of God, and yet he is able to open my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of op no, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to which they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They excommunicated him. They get him out. And so through a series of questions by Pharisees and 
the teachers of the law, I think there was some pretty good preaching on the part of this man. He is a pretty good convincing preacher. He arises at the conclusion that Jesus is a man of God. Somebody, somebody must be, he cannot be a sinner. He must be more than a prophet that is able to heal me. And as such, he is a man to be followed. He even asked the Pharisee if they would like to follow him too. But they, of course, rejected. And then finally, finally, down their eyes, his eyes is open. He is able to see now from Jesus being a mere man to being a prophet to a man of God. And now he truly, truly see Jesus as who he is, the Son of God, the Messiah. The Messiah. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus went and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, Son of Man is a title that Jesus used very frequently in the Gospel. But Son of Man is also a title that appears in Daniel chapter 7. When Daniel was thrown into the fire furnace and he saw this fourth person, like a son of man, standing there. And so it's a, it's a title that Jesus takes on for himself as God. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He asked the blind man. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him? In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And then he worshipped him. So you can see from this progress, that the man had progressed from seeing Jesus as one among many, just like men, or one to be listened to, or one to be followed. He now sees Jesus as one who is worthy of faith and worship. And he sees him for who he truly is. And he bowed down and worshipped Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? That is the question you have to answer. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a mere man? Is he, like Muslims believe, he's only a prophet? Is he a good moral teacher? Is he a man of God? Who is Jesus to you? That is the question that you and I will need to answer. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a good moral teacher. I mean, how do you like Jesus saying that I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, I give you life, come to me, all you who are weary and weary and, and, and heavy laden, but actually he's, he's not true. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said and wouldn't, wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'll be either a lunatic on the level of with a man who says he's a poached eggs, or else he'll be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. 
C.S. Lewis said, you cannot conclude, when you look at the life of Jesus, you cannot conclude by saying that Jesus is just a mere man or a good moral teacher. You cannot, you have no such conclusion. He cannot be a good moral teacher if what he said is everything is false about himself. He's actually lying. And therefore, you have no such option to conclude that he is a good moral teacher, which many people believe, you know. Oh, I like the parable. I know of a Hindu friend, he always read parable to, to, to his child to send him to, to bed. He said he's either God, or he's a madman, or he's a liar. Or he put it nicely, he's either a, a liar, L, a lunatic, L, or he's the Lord. You have no other option. You have no other option. And when you accept Jesus as Lord and your eyes is open to see who Jesus really is, then it will affect everything while you're on earth. Everything. Everything. How you see things, how you evaluate things, your perspective, everything will change. Let me read the ending of the, the story. All right? Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who, were, those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. My friend, I hope your eyes are opened. I hope you can see who Jesus is. He's not just a mere man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a man of God. He's not just a good moral teacher. He is God. And when you encounter him as God, then it will transform and affect the way you live here on earth. Because there's such a thing called eternity. May we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Forgive us, Lord. We are so blind and yet we, can, we claim that we can see just like the Pharisees. We need Jesus to open our eyes. We need Jesus to point us the way. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Lord, may our spiritual eyes be opened today, this morning. May we see clearly who Jesus is. And when we see Jesus, who He is, we will bow down in great reverence and worship Him and invite him into our life to lead us so that when we walk in this on earth this life here on earth very short we live for you we live for your glory thank you for your amazing grace